Create, innovate, collaborate. A big welcome to Beyond Ideas. In the studio with me today, I'm excited to have Rob Quinn and Wei Jun, founders of Patch Medical. Rob, Wei, welcome to the show. Thanks, Brad. Yeah, yeah thanks for having us. So, guys, I've been following what you've been doing now for around six months, and, and I just had to have you on the show because the potential of what you're doing could completely change so many aspects of patient care. But before we get to that, can you tell us your stories and, and how you got together to create Patch Medical? Yeah, um, absolutely. I mean, I met Wei when I was working at uh, Cochlear with him. Um, so I was on the implants team building implants for Canadian surgeons, and Wei was over on the other side um, doing... Yeah, so I, I was working the systems engineering team at the time. So we, we were both interns. Um, we'd both actually travelled interstate for that for that job, and because because we were both from you know separate states, I guess we just became really good friends. Because like, who else do you hang out with? <laughs> 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 right. <laughs> Um, and I, I remember, I, I, I like when I, when I started to come up with this idea, I was like, I need someone to co-found this with, and like I like I know him, Brad. I know Brad. I know him way for a while at that point, and I was like, he's the guy. Like he's like I was chatting to Way at one point, and he's like, yeah, like I've run a few businesses in the past, and he just got it. Like he just got the concept of a startup. So I remember pulling him downstairs to have a chat about what I was thinking, and he was like, I love it. And I was like, this guy, he's the one I need to start my company with, and that's sort of how we became. We are. Yeah, great. So, so Rob, you've got an interesting story. I mean, this, this business is more than just an idea for you. It, it's very personal to you in, in, in what you've gone through. You know, can you share that with us? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, look, I, I realized a few years ago that there are millions of people who are in hospital that probably don't need to be there. Um, and the reason I know this is because I had a liver transplant. So I personally spent about 250 days in hospital. What's interesting is of those 250 days, 200 of those days were for monitoring. Um, so I, I remember I had, I've had multiple birthdays in hospital. I remember trying to get exams done in hospital. It was all a big mess. Um, but what I, what I realized is that if we could take that monitoring that we do in hospital and move it outside of hospital, uh, then pay, people could live a normal life. And that to me was just so exciting. And so uh, I guess the, the idea was sort of born. I, I went like it was two years ago, uh, two years, two and a half years ago now. Um, I was in hospital um, on one particularly bad admission. Um, some serious stuff had gone wrong and I was laying there and it was my birthday or something like that. I can't remember what the event was. It was a really important event and I wanted to be outside and I was furious. And that's when I sketched the first design for Patched because I was like, this is crazy. Wow, man. That's just so cool. Yeah. So 250 days in hospital. Yeah, man. So, so I mean, what did that cost you in terms of your life? I mean, it, it's massive. I, I think there's, there's so, there's so many th ways it cost me. Um, obviously, like the pure time thing, right? Like that's close to a year, I think, if you, you know, like, you know, what is it, two thirds of a year or something like that. But I, I think that for me, it's that I would end up in hospital unexpectedly. Right. And that sounds, that sounds random. Well, I, I guess we'll talk about that later, but I, like that, that is part of the reason why Patch is such a great product is because it, the unexpected nature would be like, I'm going along, I'm about to catch up with friends. Hey, let's go out Friday night. Then suddenly I'm in hospital. I mean, like, I'm lucky in that I had a support network. They came and saw me, but I know a lot of people who didn't have that. And for a lot of those people, they were, when they got surprise admissions to hospital, people just wouldn't show up or they, you know, they'd lose contact with friends. And that's really tough. And I don't think anyone should go through that. Yeah. And you were studying through this time too, weren't you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I sort of developed a reputation at the hospital, right? Like I was this guy with the textbook. So I would sit there with my textbooks on my bed. Uh, anytime I could, I would get out of the hospital room and go downstairs, to, like find a library and sort of like work with like my, my IV sticking in my arm. I'd sneak out and like, as long as you're back in a few hours and I'd like do my 
study, like type my stuff up. It was insane. I, I looking back, it was just crazy, but it's what I needed to do to get through my degree. So. Yeah, right, right. That's powerful, man. That's yeah, powerful, thanks. You know? and, and so, way you know, you guys met at Cochlear. You, you're working together. Mm-hmm. Um, Rob pitches you this crazy idea out of nowhere. I mean, what was it that attracted you to to you know working with Rob on this idea? Um, yeah, I distinctly remember the day um, Rob was like, hey, look, let's go get coffee. I just want to, like, chat about something. And we were downstairs in the cafe, and he was telling me, like, I, I knew about his personal story, um, but he he basically, you know, walked me through what he noticed in hospital and just how broken it was. Um, and um, I guess his his enthusiasm and his passion for for life and and for for the idea was super super infectious um and you know for me at the time i i was in a place where i had just finished some other projects of mine um and you know i i, I was a bit lost as well to, to be honest and when rob approached me with that it sort of um it just made it just clicked it just clicked in my mind and i was like okay i i've, I've got to at least give this a go so it sounds yeah. like, you know, besides Rob's infectious, you know, attitude towards life and what he'd gone through, there's a little bit of you felt like you were about to be sucked into the corporate machinery and you sort of felt like there was more to life than that for you. Um, yeah, yeah. So I guess, I guess um, I've had sort of an interesting, an interesting time at university. Um, I, I, did a, I did a double degree in engineering and science majoring in uh, physiology, right? And by about by about um, third year, I I was kind of sick of it to be honest. Right. You know, I, I enjoyed what I was learning, but it just felt so so far removed from me doing anything worthwhile. And so I ended up getting started starting a couple of small businesses and that sort of thing. I'm um, getting involved in a few projects like that. And um, <clears throat> I mean, I mean, it's a longer story. We can get into this a bit later, but like. I got in, you know, I started some business, got into a whole bunch of debt, um, had to borrow money from my parents, got out of that, and I was like, and then I went back to university because I took time off, and then, um, and then I, you know, I was like, okay, you know, I'm just gonna go back and do my studies for a bit because I don't know what I'm doing. Got, got, got the job at Cochlear, <laughs> met Rob, and it just kind of snowballed. Yeah, uh, right. yeah. So, so you're unemployable from a very early age. Yeah. Oh, oh absolutely. So, <laughs> just so you know, Brad, I've been fired from two jobs. <laughs> I get that about you. Wayne. I do get that. I do get that. So, so guys, was there a moment that you realised you just had to do that? Was that defining moment, or was it just something that evolved organically? Look. At that at that early stage, it, it it wasn't it wasn't a defining moment. Like, yeah, it was for me. It was hey, this is sounds interesting, and I like Rob. Let's see where this goes. Um, it was it was probably two years after that before, you know, this really started to become a serious thing. You know, like we we, we were trying to we were t- doing part time for a long time, just throwing ideas back and forth. So I think for for me for me like I had a very defining moment when I realized that it was something that I had to do. Um, in terms of the company evolving into an actual company, like I had no idea where to start. I was just like, there's this guy who can help me do it. And it was just like, let's, let's do it. And then like, there was no defining moment where it was sort of like, holy 
crap, we have a company. You know what I mean? It was sort of like, I want to solve this problem. And I kept talking to Wei. And it's like, well, maybe this is like a startup. Like, I've heard about these things. And, and Wei, like, because Wei just has this wealth of knowledge tucked in the back of his head. That's what yeah. makes him such a great co-founder, right? He's like, yes, that's exactly what this is, basically. And, like, we just, it just, like, evolved from that into something that was bigger than we could have ever imagined. Like, it's sort of just startups, like, throwing ideas back and forth, shipping PCBs into state. We're sort of finishing our degrees. And then all of a sudden, it was like... It's the time. It's now. Oh, I love that. Yeah. I love that. So, you know, it was just that ideation process of two guys just rapping over coffee or over Skype yeah, or over however, Skype. you know, however Google. you got together and it just developed from there. Yeah, Google yeah. Hangouts actually. So. Right, right, right. right. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. We, we've got a pretty good story. So we, we met in Sydney, right? Um, but we went back to um, – I went back to Melbourne. Rob went back to Brisbane um, to finish our studies. Um, but – during that year, we would basically Google Hangouts like all the time, right? Um, and you know, weeknights, weekdays, we just open up Google Hangouts, <laughs> leave it on while we were on like separate That's separate the thing, stage. Though. We just, just like, leave it on. Like God only knows how much data we use. We just like turn it on and like we wouldn't say anything. We'd be God, like anyone's listening into our call, like our call, like they're just like, what is going on? Because we'd be like, yeah, like I think we should do this. Silence, and I'd just be nothing. I'd be like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it was be like you know we, yeah it was just it was a really surreal experience. Tell us about Patch. I mean, what is it that you guys have set out to do? So look, that's a really interesting one. So at the start, I, I think I mentioned that I realized that most people are in hospital for monitoring, and we started off I think by trying to take that monitoring that we do in hospital and moving it outside of hospital. Uh, what we realized though is that doctors they just get like it's just alert fatigue they get like alerts all the time they're not going to have time to look at someone's vital signs when they leave hospital and i think the realization for us is that if we could do that prediction for them and send them alert when something's wrong that's when we realized we had something incredible so what patched really is is it's a device that sits in your chest Uh, it takes a subset of your vital signs um, we then run that information through our artificially intelligent algorithms to create signatures for disease And what's super cool about that is with a signature for disease, when we detect that you are deteriorating, we can then send an alert to your doctor or your, or your treating physician, I should say, to say, Hey, you need to chat to this patient. And that's exciting on so many levels. And the reason that's exciting is because suddenly you can give doctors the confidence to send someone home early because they know that they're going to get back in time. You know, you can give the patient the confidence that they can stay out of hospital and not need to worry and that they can live a normal life. That's what I was denied, the ability to live a normal life, and that's why this is so personal. That That's really cool, Rob. So what you're saying, if I can just summarise that, is I could go in for an operation, let's say it's a serious operation, so I live a transplant, for right. an example. Um, rather than be in hospital, I can go home and because of the artificial intelligence and the predictive nature of the algorithms you're building, coupled with the device, you can actually predict if that liver is going to reject a few days before it happens and then contact the physician to have a discussion. Right. I think. Look, I, I, yes, pretty much. I think that a really, really good example of this is, um, so I, like I said, I had a liver transplant. I didn't have a very easy journey. Um, I had a period of time where I had 18 uh, so I, 18, I'm not actually sure of the exact number. It's about around 18 life-threatening septic infections, basically. And on the fourth uh, in admission, I actually knew what was going on uh, before it happened. And I, I remember chatting to a physician at the time being like, hey, look, my, like, I, all my vital signs are out of my normal range. I know they look normal, but for me, they're out of my normal range. And look, I was effectively told, and to no fault of their own, right, this was the correct thing to do. Look, we can't do anything until your temperature hits 37.6 because we just don't know what we're treating. And it's absolutely the right response. 
But the consequence of that was two days later, I said goodbye to my family because uh, I wasn't sure I was going to make it. And I'm not sure my physicians thought I was going to make it either. I, I just don't think that's something anyone should have to go through. And I think it's preventable. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, that's cool. So, so really, what this is about is a, a, a you know first response alert before something becomes really serious. Absolutely, before you even know that you have a problem, your doctor does and yeah. gives you a call, and that I think is so cool. Yeah. So for our listeners at home, let me just describe what this thing is. It, it basically looks like a nicotine patch. It's probably a little bit bigger than a nicotine patch. Um, inside it clearly is some pretty, you know, cool technology that I'm sure the guys aren't going to tell us about. Um, <laughs> but it sits on your chest and then it connects to a mobile phone, mm-hmm. I assume via Bluetooth or some other device, yep. guys. And, and it records a subset of vital signs. And then, uh, there's some magic that happens in the back end with the software that can predict certain things that happens. Yep, that's right. Now, I take it that it didn't always look like a nicotine patch. So, uh, (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that is such a good story. Oh, my God. So can you take us through the way the product evolved? Yeah. So... Like, uh, like, Wade's probably got a different different view of this, but I'll, I'll give you mine first. Is that like I remember our first ever prototype. We were we were sitting in the room with at D, which is our current, which was our accelerator in Australia. I shouldn't say current because we're out of there now. But um, we were sitting in the room with Mick Lubinskis, um and a bunch of other mentors, and we're like, "Look, this is what we're doing." Like we've been tinkering with sensors, and Mick's like, "When can you build it?" And we're like, "Oh, like maybe another two months, like to build it into the form factor we want." He's like, "No, I want it in two days," and we're like. You're kidding, right? He's like, no, no, I want it in two days. I don't care if it's a box. I don't care if it's a backpack. I want it done. It was two days or whatever it was, but he's like, I want it done by this date. And he set us a date and oh my God. Yeah. So, so he was like, yeah, can you get it done in two days? And we're like, uh, um, (laughs) no. (laughs) And he was like, well, how long? And I was like, maybe like four weeks. And he was like, okay, two weeks. We're going to do a demo with everyone here in the office. And you're going to slap that thing on, on people and, and test it out. And we're like, uh uh-huh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and we just plugged stuff together. Like, we just got wires. Like, you, if you open up that box, you would have thought you were strapping a bomb to your chest. <laughs> and we have <laughs> Well, a- I'm looking at the device now, guys, and, and I've got to say, it looks a little bit like a bomb. <laughs> it's still a little bit. But, I mean, like, like at the time, it was like a box that was the size of, like, oh, how it's like, it's like a small lunchbox almost. And we have a picture, and I'd love to show you this picture at some point, Brad, because it's well, we can put it up on the website. Yeah. People that are listening to the podcast can actually... I have to ask know, permission, but like yeah. the entrepreneur at the time, Stefan, he put it on his chest and honestly, it looked like a scene out of Alien, like something <laughs> was bursting out of his chest. But the cool part about it is we got some results and we and we, it was our first iteration. And that's when we realized that iteration was key. Yeah. That was super cool for us. So, so take us then through, I mean, you still had a long way to go from, you know, I'm looking at it right now, you know, this, this white looking lunchbox that you probably <laughs> wouldn't take anywhere on your body right. to something that sort of looks like a, you know, $2 shop innovation, you know, fabric everywhere right. with some wires between it to, to something now that looks pretty snazzy and, and you probably would clip to your chest. I mean, how, how long did it take you to go through that? What was the iteration process you went through? So I think there was a few stages for us. Um, the first was probably, uh, so just like we just started iterating on the mechanical design initially, but then we realized it was chatting to customers that was going to give us what we actually needed. So we started throwing the device every two weeks. I think we, we used to do two-week sprints, right? Yeah, so what we what we do is um, we'd set it up so that every two weeks we were 
quote unquote shipping something, right? Mm. We were doing a test with users. We were presenting something about the things we learned. And um, so for a few of those, we, we dedicated them to like real technology, technology development. <laughs> and I think we spat out, you know, in, in, in the course of um, two months, we spat out like four, uh, you know, three or four different prototypes, mm. um, you know, trying out different form factors, you know, different, different code, different features and, and all that sort of stuff. Um, so, you know, I, th- I think, I think that that technology development was super important, but at the same time, we'd spend time, um, doing things outside of that. Um, things like, things like going, going and talking to, talking to experts, in, you know, in the field, talking to physicians, talking to, at the time, psychologists, um, cause that, that was one of the applications we were, we were really considering. Um, and so I guess every time we did that, we'd regroup after two weeks and then try and learn from everything that happened in that two weeks and then plan out the next two weeks. You can never underestimate the power of getting feedback from customers. And, and I know so many entrepreneurs and, and young founders who think that they can get their product off the ground by having this, you know, ideation <laughs> discussion going on between them and never seeing a customer until the product's ready to launch. But it sounds like you guys were constantly in front of people just soliciting We feedback. didn't start like that, though. And I think that's what differentiated us from the two years of dicking around in a backyard to actually having a product. Right. And, like, and that sounds crazy, right? Like, we would chat about ideation all the time over those two years. And I honestly think if we'd started putting this device on people earlier, we could have made so many more improvements so quickly. That's so powerful. Yeah. You say that. Yeah. yeah. And, and, I, and I'm serious, like really serious about that. Yeah. At one point, you saw the real value you were creating was not in the device, but in the software. Was that an organic process? I think we always knew that the device wasn't the solution in the end. We just didn't know. We just sort of started because we were like, and I think that's that's the key for a lot of things, just to start. Like, look, we know that getting people out of hospital is going to involve doing monitoring out of hospital. So we started with that, and that's when we started talking to customers, and then it sort of evolved that realistically the device is going to be worth nothing. I mean, like, it's just gonna, the price as the price goes down, we've got to stay alive. It's right? a commodity. Yeah, it's a commodity, and like every piece of hardware now. So you need some something else. Um, and it was only through chatting to customers I think we figured out what that was. Yeah, so I think I think that that realization came um, as we as we saw things. You know, examples. So for for example, um, I remember reading about a Kickstarter project, um, a guy who created basically it was like a phone case that would fold out into a selfie stick, right? And he launched on Kickstarter within nine days or something thereabouts. There were copies on Alibaba from Chinese companies doing the exact same thing. And people were going back to his Kickstarter page and getting pissed because they were like, you just taken some product from China and, and, you know, is trying to start a Kickstarter for it. And so it kind of illustrated the fact to us that like, um, you know, the hardware itself is very difficult to maintain a competitive advantage, you know, and that actually it was, what the hardware was getting us that the data um, was really, really the, the point of value and the point of differentiation. Where are you at in that software development life cycle and what needs to be done to get that software product to market? Um, we're, we're, we're at the stage where um, we need data and we need lots of it um, because, <laughs> because that's what actually, that's where the insights come from. That's where, that's what feeds into the algorithms. Um, and so right now, you know, we, we can, we can collect and store data, but we need to turn that into something that's, 
that's super valuable. Mm. Your path to commercialization's uh, been through Murad, and you mentioned Mick Labinskis before. He's done a fantastic job with Murad internationally. Um, and for those people who don't know, Murad is an incubator and accelerator that's owned by Telstra. Can you take us through the process of how you got into Murad and and how Murad helped you get you where you are today? So I remember the first discussion we had about this, actually. It was at Way's old apartment. And we're, yeah, you might not even remember okay. this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like, we were looking at, like, cause we, we'd like been tinkering with these ideas. I'm like, we just need, like, we need some sort of like some, some cash so we can quit our jobs. We need to go full time. We need to make some magic happen. We just don't know how we're going to do it. And we looked up Maru D. Um, and I remember Way's like, wow, we can almost get in there with what we've got right now. I remember thinking that and it like sort of mulled over in my mind. And I, it's, this sounds really bizarre. I actually joined Telstra as a graduate. And so I, I sort of like, I'd forgotten about that conversation we had with Wei. And as I was, as I was part of Telstra, I remember hearing Murudi being thrown around. I'm like, that's the startup, incu- that's the startup incubator, the one that's supposed to be really amazing. But, um, I was sort of like, wow, like this, this group could actually like, that's what, that's what they exist for. We didn't really know what an accelerator, well, I didn't know what an accelerator was at the time, but we like through being at Telstra, I realized what Maruti did. And I was like, that's exactly what we need. And I remember I met Ben Sand, who was the entrepreneur in residence at the time, um, just by chance meeting. And I was chatting to, chatting to him about Maruti. He's like, why don't you apply? And I was like, oh no, like we're too, we're too early. He's like, no, apply. So we did. And oh my God, the process was intense. Like. <laughs> So take us through that process. Rob, yeah, Rob. absolutely. Yeah, so I I, I remember Rob um, calling me up. I was on my way home from work, and he was like, oh, oh, man, I had this conversation with, like, Ben Sand. He's, like, the entrepreneur residence, and he's like, we said... He, he said we should apply, and the deadline is in like three days <laughs> or, so he was like, or less. Yeah, or something 48 like. or 96 hours or something, yeah. And I was like, okay, let's do it. Um, and he's like, hey, you know... You know, if we do this, like he said, we've got to go full time and stuff. And, you know, I had already started thinking about that. We'd started talking about, like, we'd seen competitors come up and we were like, we need to to make this happen. We need to be full time. We didn't know how. Um, and so that application process started with, it was like an online application process. Um, we wrote a bit about our company. We wrote way too much. Um, <laughs> Looking back now, yeah. Yeah, we... <laughs> Um, so it started with an online application and then they filtered that out, um, to, to, to an interview. So I think they get, they get hundreds of, in- of applications online and then they invited, um, 40, 40, 40 companies or 40 teams to, to come and interview at, at the Meridi offices. Um, so that was an hour long interview with, with Ben, who's the entrepreneur in residence, um, and one of the other mentors, Stefan. And they just grilled us. They <laughs> oh, just grilled grilling. the heck oh out of us. Oh my god! Yeah. Um, you know they were, they were probing into to both both the business model and like how we thought it would happen, but also into us personally and our backgrounds, um, and, know, and just trying to understand like who you know whether we had what it takes to 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 really thrive in that sort of environment. I actually think what sold us in that interview, and this is for any person listening, any entrepreneur that's listening who's in this early stage, having the balls to do something that's a bit crazy, uh, I think is what got us as far like into the program eventually. Because I remember Ben and Stefan saying, "You need to. The only thing you haven't done is sell this to someone. Why has no one bought this?" And we were like, "There's regulatory. There's all this sort of stuff. Like, no, no one's bought this. This is ridiculous." So we left the meeting. I remember ways like, "We should sell them the device." 
Like we should sell, we should sell, sell Ben, Ben one of the devices and Stefan one of the devices. So like, like gets to get our first sales in the world. And I remember, like I'm going, no, that's so ridiculous. Like how, like how brash, like how, like, and I was like, you know what? He's right. Like let's, let's just do it. So we, we sent a, I remember we sent an email straight after, it was either the interview or boot camp. I don't remember which one it was, but we sent an email to Stefan and Ben and Annie Parker, who was the head of Meridia at the time. We're like, hey guys, you said we need to sell these devices and that'd be really valuable. Ben, we know you're into biohacking. Stefan, like, you know, we just like pinpointed things that they could use it for. We're like, would you like to buy one of our devices? Nice. <laughs> nice, <laughs> nice. Like, like a free sale. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. And, um, and like the, the other two, the other two sort of like said yes. And then we never, never really followed up on it. But Ben was like, absolutely. And he ended up, he ended up being our first customer actually. He ended up like uh, throwing down some cash and that helped us get a bit further along the road. <laughs> so it was, cool. it was really funny because like, <laughs> we've still got to give him the device to be honest with you, but uh, <laughs> it was, it was, it, that was, I think the thing that got us into Muradi. Very good. So, so you're in Muradi now, you've been working, you know, you work in the incubator. I mean, for all those aspiring founders and, and young entrepreneurs, what's the good, the bad and, and the ugly of, of being inside of, a, of an incubator? Oh. The good, the bad, and the ugly. I, I want to start with the good because I'm a very positive guy. Um, look, honestly, I think the most important thing I got out of Maru D, and I think anyone would get out of any accelerator. People tend to rag accelerators because they think that, you know, oh, we could do that ourselves. You know, like, let's get some money and we'll do it ourselves. What I said to Julie about Maru D, I think, summarized my experience. And that was that it's not so much what the company became. Don't get me wrong. The company evolved like crazy. But it's who I became as a person. Um, that's so important because we got hammered regularly, not hammered drunk, hammered by our entrepreneurs, right? Like they, they, they would sit us down and be like, no, you need to change this. Like it would just be, and that's what helped us grow. Like all these fears I had beforehand and things that I wasn't sure about, like just, it changed everything. Um, so the, the good part about Marudi and everything like that. It got us to where we are today. It got us into Y Combinator, which I'm sure we'll talk about at some point. But um, yeah, and it really, it's the reason we have a, it's the reason we have a big pilot coming up, um, to be honest with you. So proximity has a huge part to play in the value of, of an incubator. Absolutely. I think us being like the, the value of having everyone else around us, like that, that can't be understated. Now, mm-hmm. you, 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 there's obviously a train of thought that it's obvious. Yes, you need to go and have your own space and build your own culture. But for us at this, cause we were really just at idea stage when we joined. Um, like having other people knowing that they were going through the same things that we were going through, knowing that they were suffering in the same way that we were. That sounds horribly like morbid, but I think that's what gave us, like got us to where we are. And you mentioned Y Combinator, Rob. You know, you <laughs> guys are off to Y Combinator next year. Congratulations on Thank that, you. by the way. For those people who don't know what YC is, it's considered to be the most prestigious accelerator in the world. Think Dropbox and Airbnb. Was the process similar to Murudi? And what was the journey to get into Y Combinator? It was very different, um, actually, the application process for Y Combinator. Uh, I mean, it, was, it wasn't so much that you fill in an online form, you have an interview, but I mean, like, the style was very different. I think the form, you needed to be short, sharp, succinct. You know, like, everything just, because, like, they, they get they get roughly 10,000 applications or, like, 8,000 applications or something. Like, they just don't have time to read stuff. You know, like, Murudi gets a couple of hundred, which is great, because uh, they're one of the top accelerators in Australia. They get a couple of hundred, but it's a states, right? There's 350 million people, and it's one of the best in the world. Like, the 8,000 applications. It was just, like, our advice from, like, people we spoke to was get it short, sharp, to the point. That was really great for us developing our business. Um, and then... Yeah, I, I guess I guess what was interesting is that 
Um, y Combinator as an in- incubator um, has a different a different strategy to MuruD. So MuruD is about working closely with a few, you know, a few a few founders, you know, ten founders, and spending a lot of time with them and really coaching them through it. YC they um, their approach is to is to create a huge network of companies that are all helping each other. So they they take in like a hundred companies each cohort. And but they their their application process is like bang bang bang. Our interviews were ten minutes. That was it. We you know we yeah. had a ten minute interview, an online application, and then they flew us out to uh, the heart of Silicon Valley um, for another t- ten minute interview. Wow. It was crazy, though. They were like, oh, guys, like, we think you've got some potential. We want to fly you out here. Like, interview states start next week. And it's like, <gasps> So you flew all the way to Palo Alto? Assume it's Palo Alto? Mountain oh, View. Mountain View yeah. for a 10-minute interview. Yeah. We ended up having two. But two so 20-minute interviews. <laughs> In total, yeah. Most people only get 10, even if they fly them out. But 10 minutes. Well, minute you guys... <laughs> Clearly had something important to say. So apparently, uh, I mean, uh, that must have been an intimidating experience, being able to, uh, you know, effectively communicate your value proposition and what you believe you've got in in ten minutes. I mean, that that must have been difficult. Absolutely, certainly. Like the the, the pressure to cut out anything that is you know extraneous and to make your message just super clear. Um, you know, that's, that's something we've always been working on. And I think every, every founder is going to find that it's, it's the, the shorter and sharper your message is, mm. the more people are going to listen and get what you're doing. Mm. Um, and it's, it's, it's a very hard thing to do as a founder because you see everything about your company. You know, every little detail, you know, you know, everything about customer, you know, statistics about the market. You know all about the technology and you want to, you want to talk about it because that's what you're thinking and you're like you know you the 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 you know the 60 second sound bite that I tell you doesn't encapsulate like everything that I've worked for and everything that we've you know tried to do um but it's it's the most important part of that yeah. and for us that was a really really good exercise for that important lesson and I think like being able to communicate your message in 60 seconds, you've got to realize that the purpose of the 60 seconds isn't to tell someone about your startup. Um, in the case of the 10-minute interviews, it's a similar sort of thing. The purpose of those 10-minute interviews wasn't to tell them about our startup. Um, in the case of a 60-second pitch, the purpose is to get them to want to know more, um, and that's critical. Like we, we won the St. George Kickstart 60-second pitch competition, um, but the only reason we, we didn't really tell people about what we did we just got them emotionally invested enough to be like, hey, we want to learn more and give them some money. Yeah, I think that's really important, Rob. I mean, you know, there's a saying that people will never remember what you say. They'll remember how you make them feel. Yeah. And, and that's the key to conveying your message is, is leaving people feeling something. Absolutely. And that, that, that's the thing with the Y Combinator interview. We realized, and this is something that, we, we, thankfully being in Murudi sort of like we saw the light by being in Murudi to know this but like the Y Combinator interview was never about them knowing about our startup or thinking our idea was great it was about convincing them that we are the guys to do it and that we have an idea that's potentially plausible and like that was our sole goal for that interview and I think mm-hmm. like we we practiced like we were practicing before the like we, we had to take a break half an hour before the interview but we went across the road and Wayne and I were practicing and like we were role playing and that is so important because, like, I'd pretend to be the interviewer, and then I'd be like, "Well, would I would I take you as a startup? Like, <laughs> would I like?" And then why do the same thing for me? Um, and it was tough and it was hard to hear, but it got us mm. there. This concludes part one of the interview. 
Next week, Rob and Wei go into the challenges and difficulties of getting a medtech startup off the ground in Australia and what aspiring science majors and engineering students should consider if wanting to begin a startup. Some tremendous insights in part two of this interview, and it's an interview really not to be missed. Until then, create, innovate, collaborate.